Freedom HealthWorks is the direct primary care accelerator. We help doctors across the country start fresh in direct primary care. With Freedom HealthWorks, you work with a team, not a checklist. Visit FreedomHealthWorks.com and together we can achieve true freedom in direct care. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Healthcare Americana. I am your host, Christopher Havig, CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. Today is a very relevant conversation, and it comes up when people think they know what benefits are. People think they know what health insurance is, and they think that health insurance is a good thing and that they absolutely need it, and there's nothing they can do without it. And the conversations that we've been having are leading up to the fact that that's not necessarily the case. So joining us today is David Contorno, CEO of ePower Benefits, a, a, a guy that's been doing incredible work in this space for a very long time and has built some very interesting uh, plans and, and, and made sure that things work together in a way that a lot of companies uh, didn't know was possible and is saving a ton of money by putting benefits in, uh, really redefining benefits and putting something into workplaces that actually benefits, for lack of a better word, the workers. So David, welcome to Healthcare Americana. It's a pleasure to chat with you. Thanks for having me, Chris. Really appreciate it. Now you've been out there and you do the speaking tour. You, you've, you've taken any opportunity to get in front of a crowd and say, what we're doing is absolute lunacy. Where does this almost addiction to health insurance from employment, where does this come from? Where, where do we build this, this false narrative that when you get a job, you have to ask about benefits and benefits only mean expensive health insurance that confuses the hell out of anybody anyways. Well, it actually started during World War II when the government put in wage freezes in an effort to keep the resources fueling the, the war effort. And so uh, these the industry was making so much money on the war effort, largely prepping us for the war, that uh, they needed to attract and retain talent. And since they couldn't give pay raises, they started to offer Blue Shield hospital insurance. And that's kind of how it started. We are unique in that our health insurance is tied to our job that's really specific to the U.S. and not anywhere else. But where I think the real, what I'll refer to as Stockholm syndrome, and I'll, I'll give a little bit better definition of that in this space in a moment, occurred was about 40 years ago when HMOs came about. Because prior to that, health insurance worked much like other types of insurance. You incurred a claim. Usually the little claims were not covered. You didn't expect to get reimbursed for your doctor visit or for your generic medication. You would go incur the claim, even having a baby, and you'd pay for that in full. And you would then submit to the insurance company and you get some portion of that back. And that created a couple of things. Number one, it created an interaction where the consumer of the goods and services, also known as the patient in the space, was also the payer of the goods and services. And so there's You can't ask for more money than that person has. And so there was automatic transparency. There was automatic price controls just out of what people could afford that just didn't exist when HMOs came about because the premise of an HMO, the idea of it was, what if we took a really high volume of patients and we funneled them to a small volume of doctors? Back then, HMOs were very narrow networks and really pertinent to to what Freedom HealthWorks does they installed a primary care physician that you needed to get referrals from to go see the specialist so that you didn't go to a back surgeon when your back hurt because the most likely outcome of going to a back surgeon is back surgery. So what if there's alternative treatments like physical therapy or chiropractor that your PCP could direct you to prior to that more interventional uh, specialist? And so that was the premise of it. But what it did, and, and and this has only been perverted to an extreme 40 years later, was it gave this sense that the insurance company is in control of everything. They control who we can see, what we pay when they go, what they pay the doctor when they go. And you created this system where they got paid only when they provided a service, right? Which kind of makes sense to some degree. But then doctors and hospitals started to realize, well, the more services we provide, the more money we make. And then the insurance industry started to lower the reimbursement rates, which only put more pressure on volume. And volume became the name of the game. And that's really where the fee-for-service world has evolved today. It's you ask a CFO of a hospital, how do you get paid? Heads and beds. The more heads and beds, the more I get paid. Ask a primary care physician how they get paid. The more patients I see and the more I send them to high-cost specialists or procedures within the system, the more money I make. So there's been perverted ways to incentivize these doctors and and hospitals uh, and even insurance companies to make money. Incentivizing people is always a fun topic for me. Um, You know, when hiring people and trying to grow companies, people follow the incentives. And if those incentives aren't very, 
lack of a better word, you know, surgically uh, placed in an agreement or in a compensation, you usually get the outcome that you don't see. And it sounds like that's what you're saying here. When when hospitals and physicians were incentivized to just go volume because they're only getting paid when they're hands-on with somebody, that had a lot of uh, consequences that were sounds like they're very much unintended. Well, let's go to one that more recent example of something that caused unintended consequences. And it's one of the provisions of the Affordable Care Act, and it's called the medical loss ratio provision. And I ask CFOs of companies around the country all the time, do you think an insurance company makes more money by keeping claims down or allowing claims to inflate? And every employer, especially if they're in a fully insured plan, they presume that the insurance company keeps the difference between what they collect in premium and what they pay the claims. And unfortunately, that's not true because the medical loss ratio provision says that every insurance company, every health insurance company in the country must spend at least 85 cents of every dollar they collect on healthcare costs. So their profit and their overhead is part of that 15%. Well, 15% of a bigger number is a bigger number. And the only way to let that top number inflate is to let claims inflate. So what insurance companies have done is they've recognized, first of all, every health insurance company in the country, with the exception of the blues, some of the blues, are publicly traded. United Healthcare is publicly traded, Cigna is publicly traded, Aetna is publicly traded, Anthem is publicly traded, Humana is publicly traded. And what that means is, is that their only true fiduciary responsibility is to their shareholders. And if you look at their stock price over the last 40 years, even the last 10, especially the last one, you will see that they've delivered on that responsibility in spades. More, they've outpaced the Dow Jones, the S&P, you name it. And so how do they do that? Well, they do that by premiums going up. And the only way for premiums to go up is for claims to go up because of that loss ratio. Now, the premise of that was to limit the profits of the insurance company. Say, you can't make 20% on this country when it's 20% of a trillion dollars and we are just spending too much. That was the premise of it. And I think it was well-intentioned, but then, of course, it gets perverted. (laughs) As most things federal programs uh, do, you know, all the best intentions in the world, but yet Someone's going to take advantage of that. Well, let me ask you this one, because we hear this a lot in the space and, and, and as direct care is growing and, and, and people are getting more and more attention to this and companies are looking at saying, hey, is this, is this a way for me to manage my costs? In your opinion, is the healthcare industry, is it functioning exactly how it's been laid out, either through regulations, through legislation, or through loopholes, whatever you want to name it, whoever you want to point the finger out? Is it actually working the way it's designed? Because I hear a lot that healthcare is broken. We need to fix it. We need to fix it. I'm thinking, I think it's working just the way that it's supposed to, but there are a well, lot of losers and it's us. So we, we already identified at the beginning that the majority of people, a little more than 50% of Americans get their health insurance through their job. That means their employer is setting that up. Who do employers rely on the most to bring that advice and expertise? Brokers, right? Which is what I used to be. I call myself a recovering broker now, but <laughs> we'll I was a broker that, yeah. for many years. Yeah. Um, and so that meant that I went to the Blue Crosses, the Uniteds, the Cygnas, and the Aetnas, and I got quotes and proposals, and I put them together, and I advised the client on which one they should take. But here's the thing. The client didn't pay me. The insurance companies paid me. And so- Not only that, but they pay me commission, which means as my clients' rates go up, how much money I make goes up. And for anyone listening to this that owns a business, I want you to think for a minute. When I was a commissioned salesperson, a broker, I had no inventory. I had no depreciating assets. I had no accounts receivable. I didn't charge my clients. They were sure going to pay their health insurance bills. And as soon as they did, I got paid a cut of that. So, And because insurance premiums inflate at 10 to 15% a year, I got a 10 to 15% pay raise for doing no more work year after year after year after year. And then on top of that, the insurance companies pay me bonuses and trips. I'll tell you, man, I all expense paid golf to Ireland. One of the carriers, United Healthcare, one year, they rented out an entire luxury cruise ship, an all-suite cruise ship for our private event only. I mean, insane lavishment. Why? Because it works. I want to give you an example. Um, There's only two countries in the world in which advertising prescription drugs directly to the patient is allowed, New Zealand and America. And if you look at what drug prescribing habits do, how they're influenced, when a large ad campaign comes on for a drug, it skyrockets. It influences patients and doctors. It works. So these incentives and this marketing, they really work to help protect the interests of what is the largest employer in the country. It overtook federal government two years ago in terms of number of people employed in healthcare, now the largest sector of the economy. So the broker gets paid more as 
costs go up. We identified a few minutes ago that the health insurance companies make more money as costs go up. And of course, the local health systems that are receiving 85% often of these increases, they make more money as costs go up. The drug manufacturers make more money as costs go up. So the healthcare system really is working exactly as it was designed to work. It just wasn't designed by employers who foot the bill, doctors who provide the care, or patients who receive the care. Not working well for those three entities, but it is working really well for everyone else. So there it is. The healthcare system is not broken. It's actually working just the way it's supposed to. And let me ask you this, because this also this this often comes up. And then I want to dive into you know your personal story because I think it's it's really great. Um, you know, you mentioned a, a, a recovered or reformed broker, but you know, to me, I would think that the hospitals would be the limiting factor in cost escalation, because it doesn't make sense for me to say, well, the hospital is going to bill the insurance this inflated amount because the insurance company wants the more revenue, but then they're all going to write it off and everything's going to be chopped in half. And you're actually going to get down to what the fair market prices actually are, but that doesn't happen. And that's where often a lot of people struggle saying, well, yeah, my hospital is going to bill $100,000. My insurance company is going to discount that and it's going to get down to the actual price and you know everybody's okay making profit, not going to begrudge that. But where, where are people missing a step in that or are hospitals complicit in the whole thing? Listen, they've become complicit. I don't know if they're the ones that set this out, but they certainly found ways to pervert it. But here's the thing. I liken um, healthcare to shopping at Kohl's. Um, a lot of people shop at Kohl's and there's always one item or one rack that isn't on sale. And I guarantee you nothing from that rack ever gets purchased. But <laughs> we know that even after the 40% off, even after your scratch off that gave you another 10% off, and even after your $20 of Kohl's cash from last time, we know that Kohl's is still making a profit, right? But let me tell you the difference between buying at Kohl's and buying anywhere you buy in healthcare. At Kohl's, you know the starting price and the ending price prior to you purchasing it. Mm -hmm. In healthcare, and this is where the Stockholm Syndrome comes in a little bit, nobody knows what that care is going to cost, not even the provider of the services, until after the services are rendered and there is now a legal or at least moral obligation to pay for those services. And again, if anyone out there is in, in the private sector and owns a business, imagine for a minute, if you had customers coming to you and they didn't ask for price in advance, they didn't really care about quality. And by the time they had to pay and you had to give the price, they were already obligated to pay. Mm -hmm. There are many of you out there that would probably day one say, well, let's keep quality the same and cost the same. But a month later or two months later, you're like, well, if they're not asking about price, what if we raised it a buck? Oh, our sales didn't slow down. Okay, let's raise it another buck. Oh, wait, our sales didn't slow down. Let's raise it another buck. And at the same time, what if you're clients didn't care about quality and you started to buy lower quality manufacturing equipment or whatever it is that you do. And you saw, wait, as quality goes down, your expenses go down too. So you're boasting profit even more. And again, your sales are not slowing down. People are begging for your products and services over and over and over again. That's what our healthcare system does to us every single day. And the biggest reason for that is a lack of transparency. There's nobody to say this is high quality and this is low cost. And let's face it, that's what value is in anything we buy. And we might assess it differently. Quality might be more important in one area, cost in another. But when you don't have cost and quality, you have nothing to measure. And when you have nothing to measure, there's just no way to improve it on cost or quality. It's really a great example. And, um, you know, for, for people listening out there, and this is something that, you know, I, I finally had a conversation with a physician who said this to me and wasn't me just saying this, that if you're a doctor and you don't know what the price of your care, your services that you're recommending for somebody, you're complicit. You're part of, you're, this, is, this is part of the problem. And you know, I, I never bought the counter argument that it says, Chris, well, I don't want to get involved in the financial side of it because that will influence my care decision. And I rebut, well, if you make a care decision and it sends your patient into bankruptcy, are you actually doing them any good? Let's... I agree with that 100%. Let's step back a second. What if you prescribe them something that they simply can't afford to get even with their health insurance plan? Now they can't get it at all. You might as well not have given them any medical advice whatsoever. It absolutely has to be part of the equation. And this notion of doctors and hospital administrators saying, don't worry about the cost. Your insurance will cover it. <laughs> Who pays for the insurance? The employee and the employer. It drives me nuts when, it, when you see all at CVS and, and all the drugstores, it says free asterisk flu shot. It's not free. 
it's just no out of pocket to you right now. But that claim gets added to your experience, which gets added to your premium next year. And you're going to pay for that either way. Now, I'm not saying it shouldn't be no cost, no out of pocket, but it would be more accurate to say no out of pocket instead of free. You know, when I go and get my COVID vaccines, I got my second one day before yesterday. It truly was free. Why? Because I told them that I didn't have insurance, which happens to be true. I don't have a traditional insurance plan. And surprise, surprise, when you don't have insurance, they just do it. But when you do have insurance, the vaccine is being provided by the government, but the administration of it, they will bill your insurance if they can. So just say you don't have insurance and it truly is no cost. But then they sit the paper in front of you and saying, I attest that I don't have insurance. And if I ever do have insurance during this care, then I will provide that new card. And then you see your prices start to start to jack up there. David, I want to sure. dive into to your personal story. You mentioned that you are a, a, a reformed broker. Give, mm-hmm. us, um, give us the backstory on, on when you kind of saw the light. And, and did you have that moment where you're saying, you know what, my definition of a client is completely backwards. Something needs to fi- be fixed. Yeah. Um, so I've been a broker since I was 17. I'm 44 years old now. So 27 years or so. And for the first 18 years or so, I was the traditional broker, um, as I described earlier. And it just got harder and harder. And let me explain where where it got hard. The decision makers who were the business owners, that's not who was hard. I mean, they didn't like meeting with me because I was coming in with varying degrees of bad news. But here we are, you know, we are people who all make in the six figures and we all drove in in really nice cars. And we're all sitting around this really nice $20,000 conference room table. And we're making decisions that are impacting the deductible up to two or three thousand dollars when most of their workforce has four or five hundred dollars in their lifetime savings account. And what got to be really hard was when I started to go to the employee meetings after the employer made the decision. And I started to hear stories of someone who went into bankruptcy with health insurance, with a job because of their deductible. And that's the, the statistic in the U.S. right now is medical bills is the number one cause of bankruptcy, but about two thirds of those people had health insurance. So it's not the medical bill per se that's bankrupting them. It's their share of that medical bill under their employer-sponsored health plan. So that's what got really difficult for me was when I had to face these employees. And I'm, I mean, some of the out-of-pockets with deductible and coinsurance is like $10,000. Now, again, I don't know the exact makeup of your audience, but for, a, for like 96% of America, coming up with $10,000 is impossible. And if you can, you're in the very, very small percent. And I commend you for that. But we need to think of those other people. So it started to get really hard. And, and I realized that the way I was paid was backwards. And I said, I, I feel so out of control for the cost and quality of health insurance and healthcare. What's the one thing I can control? And I figured that should be how I get paid. And so I changed how I get paid. And I went to the next client after I had this awakening. And I was like, do you even know how I get paid? And he had a general sense, but didn't really know specifically. And I said, what if we cut all that out? What if you paid me? But here's the thing. I like getting bonuses, right? Who doesn't? But I only want to get a bonus when I do good by you. So what if we structured a way where I, when I achieve the goals you want me to achieve, you can be a bonus. And he's like, I love that idea. I said, great. What do you want me to achieve? And he said, I want you to lower my healthcare costs. Now, I had a couple of dominoes fall in my head at that moment. The first thing is, is that I purported to be in healthcare. I wasn't. I was in health insurance. And that's like a Geico salesperson saying that they're a mechanic. Okay. They don't know anything about the car, nothing about how to fix the car. And so I also realized that we've been backwards. Could you imagine if your car payment to the bank was too high? And so you called up Geico and said, can you lower my car insurance payment? Or can you change my deductible? That doesn't impact your car payment, right? Or what if your car is breaking down all the time? Could you imagine going to Geico or Allstate to get that fixed? You wouldn't, you'd go to a mechanic, right? And so what's happened over the years, as especially when the HMOs came about and all this thinking is that we, we confuse the words healthcare and health insurance as though they're one and the same. We don't do it with life and life insurance. We recognize those are two different things. Homes and homeowners insurance, we recognize those are two different things. But most of America thinks that Blue Cross and Blue Shield provides their healthcare. Blue Cross and Blue Shield provides zero healthcare. Your doctor provides healthcare, your nurse, your pharmacist. And so we have to break these two things apart. And when I started to do that, I started to realize we cannot fix healthcare through health insurance. Our healthcare is not a reflection of our health insurance, but our health insurance is absolutely a reflection of our healthcare. And as healthcare costs go up and quality of healthcare goes down, so too does the cost of health insurance and the quality of health insurance. And so what I recognize is we need to fix the healthcare side of things, and that's how we fix insurance. And so I wanted to do things that I recognize, like 
Quick story, I needed an inguinal hernia repair a few years ago. And I called around the places where I was living at the time in Charlotte, North Carolina. And at the time I had Blue Cross and Blue Shield. And I said, I need an inguinal hernia repair. The CPT code is 98586. Can you please tell me two things? How well do you do this and how much does it cost? Not a single hospital could tell me how well. One, uh, one of the representatives actually put me on hold and said she tried Googling it and couldn't find anything on Google about the quality of her healthcare system either. Jeez. And they couldn't even give me a price. They kept giving me estimates and they kept trying to say, what's your deductible? And I said, I don't want to tell you my deductible because I'm not asking you what my share of the cost is. I'm asking you what the total cost is going to be. Anyway, I wound up getting a price range of 8,900 the low end and 47,500 the high end. Now the high end place is the one that everyone in Charlotte thinks is the highest quality. But when I actually looked at quality statistics, they were the lowest quality of the four. They had the highest infection rates, the highest readmission rates, and they were the only one of the four that had a death from a hernia repair that was from a hospital-born flesh-eating bacteria, mind you. Wow. Wow. But I didn't go to any of those places. I instead called my friend, Dr. Keith Smith at the Surgery Center of Oklahoma. And I said, how much is a hernia repair? He says, just look at our website. I said, what? what? Excuse me? <laughs> yeah, just go to our website. And I go to their website. It tells me it's $3,060 all in, not an estimate. All in facility anesthesia, surgeon, and mesh, all in. So that's one third of the cheapest price through Blue Cross and Blue Shield at my local hospitals. So it's actually cheaper for me to push my Blue Cross and Blue Shield card aside, pay for cash, pay for travel, and get it done. And so I said, wait a second, why would I not implement this in a health plan? If I were the employer and my patient were in that situation, wouldn't I be better off saying, you know what, if you go to Surgery Center of Oklahoma where the quality is higher and the cost is substantially lower, and there are places like Surgery Center of Oklahoma around the country, you don't need to fly to Oklahoma for everything. Right. Wouldn't I be willing to pay 100% of the $3,000 charge instead of 90% of the $47,000 charge and that leaving my employee owing five grand and me paying $42,000? It's a win-win situation, right? But here's the thing, as much as that makes sense, you can't do that with Blue Cross, United, Sigma, Aetna, because when they signed network contracts with the large health systems, large health systems were able to negotiate into that contract what's called anti-steerage clauses. And the insurance companies are contractually prohibited from making it beneficial for a patient to go to one place over another. They have to all be the same. If they're in network, they have to all be the same. And so you can't do something like that that makes sense. And that continues the, the notion that employees and patients can't get access to cost. And even if they did, why would they care? Because their out-of-pocket is going to be the same, whether they go to the high-cost place or the low-cost place. And the one piece of information they don't have and don't understand is that typically the low-cost place is the higher-quality place, and it's exactly where you want to be going anyway. It sounds like they've done a great job of commoditizing um, what our notion is of health care. And I love that you brought up the fact that obviously health insurance is not health care. And, you know, we've, we print that on, on t-shirts and, and put it up on, on billboards and banners. Anybody who's going to listen to us, it's like, this is the most obvious thing to disconnect these in our minds. And then that allows us kind of that epiphany, like you said, not just from your experiences, but even from a consumer standpoint to realize like, oh my gosh, this makes total sense. I, I'm not going to go choose a doctor based on the Blue Cross Blue Shield website. I'm actually going to be an educated consumer, an educated shopper. You know, we always laugh. We say one thing that American people can do is spend money and shop pretty intelligently, right? (laughs) Thanks, Amazon. You made it easier than ever. But your example just drives home that point. And so I guess what I'm thinking here is why would anybody ever have health insurance, especially when they know, hey, this might not be in my best interest either care-wise or financially? Well, I want to be clear. We build for our clients health insurance plans. It's just we don't do it with the Blue Cross United Signetta because they remove a lot of transparency and put on a tremendous amount of handcuffs. But these are all ERISA, ACA compliant, you know, and and they're really structured very similarly to how a, a Blue Cross does it. The difference is, is within Blue Cross or United, there's components, there's different business units. And of course, when it's United Healthcare, for example, all those business units are typically within United Healthcare. So if you have a fully insured United Healthcare plan, you have a few things going on. You have one business unit, which is the insurance, and that's the only piece held to that medical loss ratio. But within your plan, you also have a pharmacy benefit manager. And surprise, surprise, it's a company called Optum, which is owned by United Healthcare. Then you also have a network that's a separate business unit. And of course, United Healthcare uses their own network, which is United Healthcare. Uh, and then if you even fully insured, a lot of employers don't understand this, but the insurance companies buy protection against large claims. 
And so in order to do what we do, you have to be partially self-funded and that scares some employers. They presume it to be riskier. It's not riskier. You're already self-funded, even if you're fully insured. The difference between a fully insured model and my model is that you have no insight into what's going to happen. You're on a one-year level payment with a balloon payment due at the end. You're not going to know what that payment is until you get close to the end of the year when there's nothing you can do about it. And you have no ability to control costs within that space. Mm-hmm. In a, a non-BUCA self-funded plan, all of that goes away. I can shop out all of those different components of the plan to get the most competitive and most aligned payment models within that plan. And when you start to turn the alignment around everywhere along the way, how I get paid, for example, we charge our clients a flat fee. And with many of our clients, we get an incentive tied to lowering costs. So we get a bonus at the end of the year from the client for lowering costs. And then we believe wholeheartedly that going to the high quality providers and changing how those providers are paid, direct primary care being a shining example of that fundamentally and foundationally changing care, how care is delivered and paid for, then you turn those incentives around, you make the doctor's lives better, you certainly get better outcomes for the patient, and you have way lower costs. And I just want to codify that. Our plans frequently reduce employers' second, third, or fourth biggest spend, their healthcare costs, by between 30 and 45% at the end of year one, and typically another 10 to 20% at the end of year two. And then somewhere year around year three, we kind of get to the bottom. But I want to, again, put this into perspective. One of our clients is about 360 employees. And we do this on much smaller clients and we do this on much larger clients. But 360 employees, they've been in our environment for four years. Prior to that, they were fully insured with Cigna. So I took their Cigna trend for the four years since they left and then trended it out another six. And then I took their new trend for the last four years, their actual four-year trend, and then trended that out for another six. For this 360 employee company, the total difference in spend over a 10-year period is $71 million for a 360 employee company. Wow. This is not small. And at the same time, the employees are having less money out of their paycheck, less money out of their pocket. And last year, we saved so much money that they did a survey. They said, what do you guys want to be added to the plan. And we did two things. We put in no cost physical therapy because we saw a few too many orthopedic surgeries. So we wanted to make physical therapy no cost. And the number one thing that employees wanted was a massage therapy benefit. So now every member of the plan gets a no cost massage every month under the plan. It's easy to do those things when you're talking about the savings we're talking about. That's an amazing story. And I always I always wanted to, because you kind of, great segue into my next question here of, how do the employees feel about it? Because I always feel like there's this disconnect between the C-suite who says, oh my gosh, this could really take care of our people. This could save us a ton of money, but we're going to have the pitchforks and torches outside our front door if we change any of our benefits. Uh, Listen, again, I think that comes from that intermingling of the words healthcare and health insurance. We're not changing the advice your doctor gives you. At least I hope your doctor's advice doesn't change based on the ID card that you present, just like I hope your burger quality doesn't change based on the credit card you present to the server. We're changing how it's paid for and who cuts the check. That's really all that we're changing. So again, you need to separate that. And the other thing is, and this is really important, in order to do this um, in our model, you, you need a leadership at the employer that first of all, cares about their employees, you know, and we find the types of employers that really have bought into this model much quicker are kind of blue and gray collar family owned businesses because they know their employees. They are or were one of the employees oftentimes. Mm -hmm. And it it has to be a leadership that is looked up to and that is going to be brave and say, we're not doing this to you. We're doing this for you. And the more transparent the employer is, the better it's if the employer says, this is how much we're spending today. And let me just show you what that means. This is how much more I could pay you if this wasn't being spent. This is how much better the benefits could be if it wasn't being spent. This is how much more I could put in your 401k if it wasn't being spent here. So I'm going to be totally transparent with you. This is how much we're spending today. If we get this number down to here, then I'm going to take this much and I'm going to return it back to you in this way. Whatever that works for the be within their culture, it's up to them. But be transparent about it. Give some incentives around it and be brave and be strong and know that for most companies, the healthcare costs are inflating at a faster rate than revenue and profits. And so the day is going to come where it's going to break. Okay. It's going to come. If the last 40 years of your own renewals don't show you the path you're on, then I don't know how to convince you any more than that. It's going to break. And my advice is fix it before it breaks. Because if you wait until it breaks, 
If it just breaks for you first, you're going to lose your employees. If it breaks for the system first, it's going to go a direction that none of us want, not the healthcare system, not the employers, not the patients, not the doctors. Let's take control of this now and fix it. It's your money, employers. It's your employees' money, too. It's your employees' health care. And that's one other notion that I just want to talk about, and I think this is part of what scares people. I've been on planes. I fly quite a lot, even during the pandemic. And I've sat, uh, generally because of that, I get upgraded to first class. So I wind up sitting with business executives a lot of times and orthopedic surgeries. You know, I wind up getting in a conversation with my seatmate. And I got to tell you, every single upscale person that I've met that has had orthopedic surgery has had orthopedic surgery by the surgeon that does the local sports team quarterback or whoever. And I'm on a plane heading to Charlotte and this guy's like, yeah, my shoulder was done by the same guy that did Cam Newton. I said, yeah, where'd you have your shoulder done? And he said, uh, in Charlotte. And I go, no, sorry. Cam had a shoulder done in a hospital for special surgery in New York. He didn't even have it done in the state. And uh, so we have this notion, for some reason, we put doctors up on a pedestal as though somehow they're, they're better human beings than we are, but they put their pants on one leg at a time, just like you and I do. And there are good doctors and there are bad doctors. And I got to tell you, you know, most people think their doctor is good and what they base it on is bedside manner. I often liken back to the show House. He was a mm-hmm. jerk. He was a total but he was a darn good doctor. And I would rather have bad bedside manner and good quality outcomes than the other way around. And so just even getting people to potentially change their doctors, like I've been going to him for 30 years. He's been treating my migraines for 30 years. And I'm like, what if you went to a doctor who cured your migraines instead of treated right. your migraines? Would, right. would that be a, a, a appeal to you? Um, I, just today, as I'm sitting here, right before we started, uh, this one person is all mad because he can't get in for surgery because our proper medical management denied the surgery. You know why? He's trying to go back to the same surgeon that screwed him up before for the same procedure again. Stockholm syndrome. Exactly. Exactly. And it's across the board. Brokers have it. They say, hey, Mr. Insurance Company, what benefits can I offer my employer clients? The employer says, what benefits can I offer my employees? Doctors say, what drugs can I prescribe? What treatment can I give? Hospitals say, how quickly will we get paid? I mean, it's literally, we all look to the insurance company for permission on what we can do, what it's going to cost. And, and they control it all. And they control it in a way that benefits their shareholders or their board. That is what they are required to do. And their interests are opposite the patient, opposite the employer, opposite the doctor. And it goes back to what we started this conversation with. And why are we looking at the insurance company as this all powerful, all knowing, hey, this guy's in my corner, right? He's going to do what's right for me. But then we're starting to wake up a little bit. And something that drives me nuts, you know, you've mentioned the what we call the functionally uninsured, and, and, and that term's kind of ubiquitous around our industry that the people have deductibles and they can't afford it anyway. So why would they even go and see a doctor? Because they're going to go into BK. Every Almost every physician that we talk to is saying, all right, who's my target patient? Is it these people with high deductible HSAs? And I'm thinking, ooh, okay, this is a, this is a heavy one. And I know you have an opinion on it. So I'm going to let you fill in the blanks on that one. What are your thoughts on this kind of migration from uh, commercial health plans into these high deductible, and I'm thinking I'm saying high deductibles more than twenty five hundred, you know, the five thousand, six thousand, eight thousand dollar deductibles that people have to meet. But a lot of businesses and a lot of physicians look at these and say, "Well, that's the answer to driving down healthcare costs." Well, first of all, they've been around since George Bush the second was president. Your healthcare costs going down, it doesn't drive healthcare costs down. Let me tell you what it does. For a short period of time, it shifts healthcare costs from the employer to the employee. But now you have a situation where the average employee is so afraid to use the plan. Why? Because they can't get cost in advance. They don't know what it's going to cost them to go in and get their diabetes looked at by their endocrinologist or even pick up their medication. And so they wind up avoiding care. Now, when they avoid care, two things happen. Insurance company makes more money. The clinical state of that patient declines. And here's what happens with HSAs and, and or high deductible health plans, which an HS is required for you to have an HSA. People's clinical state declines and two, three years later, they wind up in the emergency room and now they need major surgery or major intervention. And that major intervention now has them have to pay their out of pocket that they couldn't afford before. That's the whole reason they got into this situation. Mm-hmm. This gets worse. So they go into bankruptcy, right? Because they have now five, 10 grand, whatever it is, and they can't afford it. Well, they go into bankruptcy. Why? Because the hospital is banging them for this money. There's stories all over the place of hospitals egregiously going after patients. 
And so now, as these deductibles have gone up, the hospitals have been writing off more and more of that bad debt. They write off about 75% on average of patient responsibility. So as patient responsibility has gone up, the amount that hospitals write off has also gone up. So that causes the hospital to go back to the insurance company when their PPO contract comes up for renewal and say, hey, Blue Cross United, you're slinging all these high deductible health plans. We're writing off more and more bad debt. So we need an increase in the reimbursement rates we get from you. And the insurance company is all too happy to give them that because, number one, they have to keep that local health system in their plan because if they don't, they're going to lose every employer client in the area. And number two, higher reimbursement rates lead to higher profit for the insurance company. They just want to make sure their rates don't go up any faster than their competitors because then they'd be priced out of the market. But they all love inflation. So they agree to an increase in reimbursement rates. Well, the increase in reimbursement rates sends local health care costs up, which sends the premium up, which sends the average uh, broker back to that employer client saying, hey, I got a solution. Let's raise your deductible a little more this year. And it's just this whole circle here. So I call it HSA compatible plans. And this is going to blow some people away. I get a lot of pushback. The single most damaging strategy that we as an industry have ever unleashed on the unsuspecting American public. And I, the reason I say that is because guess who picks the HSA? The HSA compatible plan is always the lowest price out of the paycheck. If an employer offers an array of plans. So guess who picks that? the lowest income people, because it's all they can afford. And what they don't really understand and aren't educated about is that's the highest out of pocket. And the biggest problem with an HSA compatible plan is not the size of the deductible itself, because I gotta be honest with you, most plans, the deductibles are not that far off, even if it's an HDHP. Mm. The difference is, is that an HSA compatible plan, every single bit of care is subject to that deductible with the exception of your annual preventive exam. So. Whereas in a traditional copay plan, you might just have a $50 copay to go to your endocrinologist. Now you have to pay the full cost of the visit. You don't know what it's going to cost. And for your insulin, you might have had a $50 copay for your insulin. Now you have to pay the full price until you reach the deductible. And I'll tell you, fill you in on one little game that the drug companies have played. So now you have these high deductible health plans and you have drugs like Humira costing three, four, five, six thousand dollars $6,000 of fill. And Humira, by the way, is the number one revenue drug in the U.S., uh, and by the way, Humira is an anti-inflammatory. We're largely combating what we're eating with this number one revenue drug in the U.S. And if we just change what we ate, we wouldn't need that drug anymore for most people. Not all. That's, that's going to be a cure for a lot of different things there. So I yeah, know it's uh, I know. lifestyle right? so, habits. Exactly. Exactly. So the manufacturer of Humira knows that most of America can't afford that $5,000 out of pocket. And so here's what they do is they give a coupon to that member. And so now that member winds up covering the entire cost of that drug with the coupon until what happens? Their deductible is met. As soon as their deductible is met, that coupon goes away because now the plan is paying the full cost of the drug every month. So the, the employer put that deductible in to try and control costs. The drug manufacturer comes in and says, hey, we'll give you a coupon to cover that. But think about this for a second. Because of the ACA, that out-of-pocket doesn't just apply to your drugs. You've now met your out-of-pocket on anything and everything. And now every bit of care that you get under that employer's plan for the rest of the year is zero out-of-pocket because of the coupon that the manufacturer of Humera gave you. So you get over that hump and now have the plan pay for Humera every month. There's so many games. It just goes on and on. When you're having these conversations with clients or prospective clients, and you know it's now as a reformed broker, how rewarding is that for you to be able to show people kind of what's behind the curtain? Do you, does that help? You know what, what you're doing Does that help you wake up every day and be like, I'm one of the good guys. I'm doing something that impacts people. Uh, I mean, yes, but I got to tell you, Chris, it's also hard and lonely and scary. Um, it's not, you know, all roses. I mean, you know, some people might be saying, why isn't every employer doing this? Well, there's some resistance. And then the, the carrier execs or their current broker from a large billion dollar brokerage firm comes in and says, no, you don't want to do that. Here's why, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, and, and sometimes it gets stopped. But I was on a call yesterday and it was actually an Israeli owned company. So they have a large location in the Carolinas, but uh, the owner who's in Israel was on the call and he kept saying, why isn't this illegal? And I go, it is just not in healthcare, but it's illegal in stock trading. It's illegal in real estate. It's illegal in buying a car. It's just not illegal in healthcare. And they're just floored. But I know some employers that will still keep taking it in the shin every year. And I just, I don't understand why. And that's amazing why people understand this. They have conversations with you or, you know, somebody's still fighting the good fight, trying to do the right thing for them. And they say, wow, that sounds really great, but maybe next year. I just don't understand where that comes from. I always liken it to you know, that's the cartoon of the ostrich just seeing danger and just sticking their head in the sand and maybe it'll go past them. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I get that excuse. All that. We're, we're too busy right now. And I'm like, okay, do you plan on not being busy a year from now? Like, are you hoping <laughs> your sales plummet and you're like, you're going to be busy every year. But, you know, the employers that get the most out of this are the ones that really look at their healthcare spend as a business unit and they really try and manage it. And heck, the average employer is spending about a million dollars per hundred employees. And if I'm even only able to save 20%, Okay, that's $200,000 if you're just a 100 employee company. Hire a full time person to just manage this plan at $65,000 a year. You'll still be ahead of the game. And now you'll have the internal champion expert that really knows it. So, I mean, of course, we fill a lot of that in for our clients. But Mm -hmm. the point is, there's so much savings, there's so much benefit. And again, higher quality care. This isn't just about lower costs. Our healthcare system, from a quality perspective, is ranked 37th. We're tied with Slovenia. And the outcomes in this country are atrocious. Although I do want to say, I am extremely impressed with our healthcare system in one regard. They really stepped up to the plate, not only for the manufacture of the vaccines, but the, the distribution of it. And that has been, I just got my second shot yesterday or the day before, and I was at a different location than I got my first shot. And they are all well-organized, staffed by volunteers who want to help. It was really quite remarkable. That's interesting. And I appreciate you saying that because, you know, it, it's easy to get in that spiral where we just beat people up and, and complain about things. And, you know, there is some light at the end of the tunnel. Do you think that is because there are, you know, when COVID hit, there was a lot of regulations and restrictions that just got waived. And we're like, you know, let the market go out and fix things. Let doctors go out and actually treat people. Is that the direct, you know, causation? Is that the result of, hey, let's go out and fix this states. Let's design a program that works for everybody here and doctors, let's go out and get those needles in arms. I mean, I think it's a combination of things, but let's face it. The market for this vaccine is literally every human being on this planet. So there's a huge <laughs> market. Um, That's incentives, that. right? Right, right. And, you know, listen, I have no problem with these entities making money. None. I just have a problem in them being disingenuous in how they make money. These insurance companies talk about how we care about your health. We care about, they don't do anything with that. As a matter of fact, the things they do do actually make your outcomes less. And people see it all the time. The pre-cert getting denied for things you truly do need. And and again, guys, they're not denying claims because they don't want to pay. They're denying claims because they don't want to pay the effective ones, the low cost ones. I see it every day. I know it's hard to believe, but there was a whistleblower that left Aetna and he said that in 97% of clinical decisions made by Aetna, not only was it a non-clinical person looking at it, but they weren't looking at any clinical notes whatsoever in making that decision. It was a financial business decision for Aetna. And that's what's going on within the traditional healthcare space. And the hard part is, as I come up against these large, you know, United Healthcare is a 200 plus billion dollar company. Okay. Gallagher and Marsh and Aon are billion dollar brokerage agencies. And then here I come in and like, no, I can really fix this. And they're like, yeah, right. But that's where it's going to fix. I want you guys to know Haven failed, right? The joint venture between Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, JP Morgan. I consulted with them back last two years ago, maybe three years ago now. It failed because I believe, even though they haven't really stated publicly, large, massive political pressure. I mean, if you think about it, uh, United Healthcare could have called up Jeff Bezos and said, hey, you know, the 150 million we spend with you on Amazon Web Services, well, we're going to switch to Rackspace if you continue with this. Or they call up JP Morgan and say, you know, the $20 billion we have invested with you, we're going to pull that if you continue this. This healthcare system is going to be fixed, not by a 500,000 person company doing something. It's going to be fixed by 5,100 person companies doing something. Mm-hmm. That's what's going to fix this. Uh, well said, and you know, very fascinating on Haven too. Might have to dive into that at at, uh, at another time once more information comes out about it. Love to hear your perspective on it. But David, I'm going to give you a last uh, last word on this one. What's your advice to people who who might be checking this out and saying, "Yeah, I'm hurting. You know, I never wanted to be a healthcare company, but that's going to be my number two item on my PNL." What do you say to them? How can they kind of pick their head up out of the sand, take a look around, and say? Here's a breath of fresh air. We can actually do something good for our business and for our employees. I want that employer to look at their core business. And I want them to think of everything they demand to see and know and improve within that business. I mean, I know trucking companies that installed the wings on the back of their trucks to save like one cent a mile in gas. Okay. If you apply that same logistical and 
transparent mindset to, to you paying for healthcare. And I know a lot of employers out there say, I don't want to tell my employees where to get healthcare. Well, first of all, you kind of already are. You put Blue Cross in, then you're giving Blue Cross that power, but you still ceded that power to them. But I'd also bet that most employers don't want to tell their employees where to sleep at night and what kind of car to drive. But when they're paying for that, when they're traveling for business, I bet you they tell exactly those things. Oh, yeah. So in healthcare, you have a responsibility when you're paying for it, not just to that member to do what you can to make sure they get the highest quality care at the lowest cost, but you have a fiduciary responsibility to every single other member on that plan to not allow any one employee to abuse the plan or their doctor or their hospital. And so if you have one employee that gets a knee surgery at 80,000, another employee that gets a knee surgery at 15,000, and let's assume they're both high quality, good knee surgeries. Well, you allowed that one employee to pay $80,000 when they could have gotten it for 15. You just violated your fiduciary responsibility to all the other plan members who didn't get an $80,000 knee. And so employers don't look at it that way. But if they started to ask questions, how much does a knee surgery cost? Ask your insurance company, how much does a knee surgery cost? The answer is going to be, it depends. And you're going to say, it depends on what? It depends on factors that you can't know until the surgery actually occurs. Who's the patient? What are they seeing? How is the doctor coding it? Uh, you know, they say the most expensive tool by far in a surgeon's toolbox is his or her pen, because it all comes down to how they code that claim that's going to determine the cost. And I promise you, they take classes on coding claims. It's called upcoding. They are taught how to do it by entire entities called revenue cycle managers. So hospitals, their revenue streams are so backwards that they have to hire outside companies to help them manage how they get paid. And I want to point out one thing I meant to point out earlier. A lot of people think that that 30 or 40% discount that we were talking about earlier, like at Kohl's, that somehow that brings you down to fair market price. It does not. There are multiple streams of revenue that hospitals and doctors get. The lowest is going to be Medicaid. Then you're going to have like Medicare and cash are going to kind of be neck and neck. The highest price paid in healthcare after the discount is commercial PPO insurance, period. That is the highest price every time, all the time, end of story. Basically, what I'm hearing is you got to ask the questions. And you know what? It might be a painful conversation for you to have with that broker. But if you're not doing that, you're doing yourself a disservice. You're doing your employees a disservice. And you're even violating potential fiduciary duty by, you know, if you have uh, shareholders, then that line item by not putting in programs typical of what you're running or what you're seeing out there, they're actually effective and keeping people healthy. I don't want to lose a human element in there. If you're not doing that, you're not really taking care of your employees. And I'm going to give you my stroke of a genius for the day here. You ready? I'm ready. Hold on to your shorts. Hold on to your shorts. <laughs> There's only one way to pay less for healthcare. You have to pay less for healthcare. Anything else you do, raising deductibles, switching insurance companies, switching your stop loss, switching your PBM, switching whatever, anything else you do is not going to lower your costs, at least not sustainably. You want to lower your healthcare costs? Focus on health care costs. Incentivize your employees to go to places where the quality is high and the cost is low because that's what occurs in the American health. There are some amazing doctors and hospitals out there, but I challenge you to find them and come up to a reasonable price before your employees incur services there. That's mm-hmm. the hard part. And that's what we have access to. And it is getting easier. The transparency law, which Ugh, even that, um, <laughs> you know, the, the, head. Yeah. the premise was we have to show a price, right? But the hospitals, the, the law said it must be machine readable and it must show every price. So what the hospitals did was to comply is they posted it on their website in a non-searchable code. So it, the code blocks Google from finding that site. So you can't Google at hospital XYZ pricing. You have to go to their site, navigate through and find it. And then when you get it, it's when it says machine readable, it's like if you remember the, the tests we took in school and you had to fill in the circles and then they got read by a machine. Like you need a yeah. yeah, you need a machine now to read that to then interpret it for you. So we didn't just post a freaking price, we added another layer of bloat to now interpret the information. Every other business in this world posts a price. Why can the healthcare system not do it? I'm sick of their excuses. I'm gonna leave it at that. To, to have lower healthcare costs, pay less for healthcare. It's just that exactly. easy. David Conterno, ePower Benefits. David, thanks for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. Thank you. That's it for this episode. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for tuning in. To check out all the cool things in direct care, visit freedomhealthworks.com. Thanks for listening. 
Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. At Green Imaging, we provide diagnostic imaging procedures that include MRIs, CT scans, and x-rays for half of the average price in a health plan. Most people don't realize that the most expensive place to get an MRI is right down the hall from the prescribing doctor. This is because 70% of doctors are now employed or subsidized by our hospital systems. When we get an imaging exam at a hospital-owned imaging facility, the cost of care is three to seven times more expensive than it is at an independent imaging facility. There is a better choice that can save you up to 65% or more. That choice is green imaging. In most hospitals, there are 16 administrators for every single doctor. This creates an unnecessary burden on the price tag. By removing this excess, Green Imaging provides diagnostic services typically at one-third of the price or less. Check us out at greenimaging.net. As a podcast listener, you know how frustrating it is when the audio is muffled or unclear. How can you have a good listening experience when you can't hear? Healthcare has been the same way. Information isn't clear, and it's hard to understand. That's why at Point Health, we're making healthcare easy to find, easy to understand, and easier to afford. And to help with your podcast experience, we're giving you a chance to win a free pair of Apple AirPods. Just visit pointhealth.com slash healthcareamericana to learn more and enter to win. The new administration has big plans for your health insurance, changes that can limit your choices. The Affordable Care Act created a one-size-fits-all plan. Healthcare is not a one-size-fits-all problem. The premise of the ACA is that coverage equals care. It does not. This is Eric Wilson from ISA Health Incorporated, and I recently saved a family in their 50s almost $600 per month with our free market plan. Act now. Protect yourself with a plan that cannot be canceled. This is a nationwide PPO plan, which allows you to pick your doctors and hospitals. Start saving 30 to 60% today. If you are self-employed, purchase your own health insurance or are uninsured. You can lock in a private plan managed by you, not the government. Call me, Eric Wilson, an expert with 17 years experience at 888-448-5370. That's 888-448-5370. Or go to iSellHealth.com. That's iSellHealth.com. A free market, affordable approach to healthcare. I look forward to speaking with you. Interested in saving money on medical expenses? Coral is a healthcare marketplace and referral platform that helps direct primary care physicians, specialists, and medical plans find each other and work together at an affordable and transparent price. Save time and save money by utilizing the transparent direct contract model from Coral. To learn more, please visit coral.io. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.